Welcome back to Build It Thou Come in 2023. Our best wishes for a great year ahead to all our listeners. Thank you so much for your support for the podcast. Now into its fourth year and we bring it to you without any ads as a benefit to listeners. Some great interviews and insights are in store for you from some of Australia's most inspiring, inquiring and downright awesome entrepreneurs who built something out of nothing by backing themselves with not much more than hard work, passion and never saying never. On today's episode, Carl Hartman, a serial entrepreneur based in Noosa on Queensland's Sunshine Coast, whose most recent startup is the wildly successful Liars Spirit Company, co-founded with his old Queensland uni mate, Mark Livings. The pair created and are fast-scaling up Liars' range of alcohol-free spirits. Think gin, tequila, even scotch whiskey without any alcohol in them, which the guys claim so closely resemble the flavour, taste and quality of the original spirit. Just three and a half years since launch in the UK and Oz, non-alcoholic Liars spirits are now available in bars, restaurants and on retail shelves across 75 countries. And their mission? Well, nothing less than changing how the world drinks spirits. Hope you enjoy Carl Hartman. I think shortly after we, we incorporated the company, we did a quick trip around the world. I think we came back a, a month later with distributors in six countries and we were like, yeah, I think this is going to work. <laughs> Carl Hartman, co-founder of Liars Spirit Company, No Alcohol Spirits. Welcome and thank you for joining us on Build It Thou Come. I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you on here. Thanks for having me, Helen. So non alcoholic spirits, you don't just have a non-alcoholic gin, which I guess is to mimic, to use the uh, term liar from Liarbird, to mimic real gin, but you now have non-alc Scottish whiskey and bourbon and quite a huge range. Can you tell us for those few people in Australia who may not know Liars yet about the range of products that you offer and what is Liars? Yeah, sure. So at Liars, what we've done is we've recreated all the major spirits in a non-alcoholic format. And we've tried to get, I guess, as close to the original reference spirit um, as possible with science. And one of our core brand pillars, as you picked up, is mimicry. Like um, they're all inspired by, you know, the uh, the spirit of origin of, of, of their namesake. And uh, basically what we've got is um, a, build, a whole tapestry, if you like, where we can recreate almost um, every major cocktail. I think by count about 99% now we have tequilas and scotch whiskeys, as you just pulled out. Um, so yeah, we can basically any drink uh, in cocktail form that you can think of, you can create in either a low or a no alcohol format. And what is in your products that make them able to do that without having the alcohol content? So what, what, what they, how they're made is it's a combination of essences, extracts and distillates. Um, so uh, many, many of the flavor profiles and the botanicals that you would see in a normal alcohol are there. Um, we just don't happen to have ethanol. Right. So you'll have to pardon my ignorance about the whole distilling process, but um, let's go back to the products. You also are now offering sparkling bubbles. And I think as as of just um, in October of 2022, you started offering pre-mixed cocktails that yeah. you're calling Negroni and Old Fashions and Margaritas. That's right. Yeah. So, so basically... Um 
we, we did the spirits first and um, there's a couple of cocktail skews that are very, very popular that use Prosecco, um, in particular Aperol Spritz. I mean, if you've ever been to Europe yep. in summer, uh, <laughs> you know, they're like one of these chain reaction drinks where one person orders one and before you know it, the whole table has one. Um, so, um, well, they we look needed, so appealing, don't they? They that do. Beautiful they look, they, they look and taste fantastic, and it's the essence of summer in many, many places. Um, also in Australia, ex- extremely, extremely popular in our summer months. So, what we um, needed to do there was to um, to do a non-alc prosecco, and that's been an absolute hit. Um, and uh, we do that now in both a can format and a seven fifty ml cork and cage champagne style bottle. Um, so. In our sort of ready-to-drink range, we've got five cans. So we've got a uh, bourbon and Coke equivalent, uh, a dark and stormy called the dark and spicy, uh, an Aperol spritz equivalent, a gin and tonic equivalent, um, and our Prosecco. Uh, And then most recently, what we found is there's a segment of the consumer that might be a little bit time poor. They like um, some of the the simple... popular drinks like, say, margarita, Negroni, and uh, an old-fashioned. So we've um, are only available in Australia for, for now, but we've um, launched those as a ready-to-serve format, which is a 200 bottle. So, again, um, the idea here is just to, I guess, showcase our products and just make it a little bit more easy for con- uh, for consumers to have just on different occasions. So, you know, they might be going to a barbecue or something, not have all their you know, equipment to make cocktails, but being able to, you know, crack a can or just pour straight from a bottle is, uh, you know, certainly convenient. Yeah, Carl, it's just, it's quite an extraordinary range, but let me play devil's advocate for a minute. How can you call them uh, a margarita if they're not actually a margarita? Well, have you tasted it? It tastes exactly like a margarita. <laughs> so, look, um, I, I think, I mean, that's that's what the flavor of the drink, the, the drink's right. called a margarita, right? Like there's, you don't have um, any appellations in terms of it must contain alcohol to have no. that, that drink. So, basically, we, when you think about it, if you take a cocktail like a margarita or a Negroni, it's about how do you capture those, uh, you know, the essence of that flavor in that drink. Mm. And and that, I think going back a step, um, I mean, that's why Liars exists. I mean, Liars exists to change how the world drinks. Um, it's 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 all about giving people, I guess, the freedom to choose to have drinks they know and love in formats that make sense to them. So, you know, we're, we're not anti-booze. Um, you know, in fact, about 90% of our customers do drink alcohol, um, but they use our product to moderate. So often what they're doing is um, there's the wedge drink use case. They might have a real Negroni. And, you know, if you've had a real Negroni, uh, as in like original recipe, and you've got, you know, you've got um, gin, Campari, uh, and vermouth, I mean, two things. You've got a lot of calories. Um, typically, mm. that's about a 300 calorie drink. Um, yeah, right. it's quite boozy. It's like two yeah. and a half standard drinks. Um, so, when you to continue with that example, you can, using our products, make a low groany. So, you might use your, your favorite gin, um, but replace the Campari and vermouth equivalent with um, the Liars products. And you've just taken the calories down by about 60, 70%, which is huge. And you've taken the alcohol content down from, say, two and a half standard drinks to um, one, depending how much gin you're putting in it, right? Right. And then, of course, if you make that same drink as a Liars Negroni, um, then you've got no alcohol right. and you've got even less calories because the ethanol in alcohol is um, the most calorically dense, um, you know, part of the uh, of the liquid, right? So, um, you know, everyone's got different reasons why they might choose to moderate um, and be that, you know, they're trying to stay under a blood alcohol level and drive home, um, you know, 
you know, myself, uh, I like to train every morning. And, you know, if I have two Negronis before bedtime, you know, a 7 a.m. run is definitely not as appealing. Yeah, <laughs> That's for sure. yeah exactly. <laughs> so would you say, Liars, I mean, are you on a mission to try and reduce harmful drinking? Or is it more you saw a gap in the market and you jumped in to fill it? Yeah, so look, I think um, both myself and Mark are the two founders. Uh, look, I think starting with Mark, I mean, Mark's had a whole career in in beverage. Um, this is you know, Mark Livings. Mark Livings, yep. that's right. Yeah, so he 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 lives lives and breathes it, breathes it, and. Um, I think um, I had sold my first company. I, I was living in the Bay Area. I moved back to Australia. And I remember, um, you know, g- going to see Mark one day and he's got these experimental liquids. And I was like, oh, what are you working on here? And um, started talking about how he had seen um, alcohol sales, which is um, um, he had a, a whole sort of FMCG, CPG um, services business, um, looking after predominantly booze customers and seeing alcohol sales slow in growth for the first time. And then a lot of the demographic data in terms of young adults not coming into the category, which is something else we can talk about. And um, and obviously having seen the analogs um, being in consumer products his whole career in terms of plant-based dairy and then plant-based meat, you know, all the better for you wave was pointing to next was going to be no alcohol, alcohol. And it was interesting from my own journey. Um, so I'd been an operational CEO for a decade. My peak year of travel was 230 uh, days. Oh. Um, I went from you know breakfast meeting to lunch meeting to dinner meeting. Um, I did a lot of businesses in places that have very heavy drinking cultures like London and Tokyo. So, you know, London, I mean, every meeting after four just moves to a pub, whether you ask for it or not. It's like, here's a pint, here's another pint. And then you get into this habit. And I think anyone that's a a sort of a heavy business traveler feels this, where there's there's just a lot of um, expectation for you to have alcohol with um, the socialization that comes with doing business. And Mm. You go to Asia and, man, they want to go to like karaoke bars and do shots of sake until like 5 a.m. and they book a meeting for eight. Like it's brutal, right? So, how do they do it? It's amazing. But yeah, yeah, back to your point. Back to the point. But um, um, so, but I think in terms of, uh, so I I came back and, uh, and I was like, I had thought about that the world needs this because I, 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 I think made a just a um, a mental step just to to cut back booze. Yeah. And the early non-alc beers were pretty ordinary. Uh, I didn't understand the point of the early non-alc spirits personally. Um, you know, I like a Negroni, I like an old fashioned, I like an espresso martini. Um, you know, this I know the drinks I like, right? Um, I've got a got a pattern. Yeah. Um, and then the early ones for me were all sort of gin adjacent and didn't really rec- uh, recreate any of the flavors that or the drinks that I would. You know, prefer to drink, right? Um, so I think um, with myself teaming up with Mark, I mean, it was like this light bulb moment where we'd kind of—I've been thinking about it. He'd already been playing with the liquids. I'm like, all right, well, this—the world needs this. I, I'd be—I'd be customer number one. So yeah, you know, let's, um, you know, let's 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 I guess agree a brand, uh, buy some round the world tickets, and see what happens. And I think shortly after we we incorporated the company, we 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 did a quick trip around the world. I think we came back a, a month later with distributors in six countries, and we were like, "Yeah, I think this is going to work." Wow, <laughs> amazing! So wait a minute, you actually decided let's go for this business. <clears throat> Excuse me, you decided we'll go for this business. And then booked you around the world tickets almost in all the same breath. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. Look, Mark, Mark had spent a couple of years working on the liquids. So, you know, we had a, we had a bit of a head start yeah, there. Yeah, and, but, and uh, sorry, he did start with no alcohol. That was his yes, idea 100%. Yeah, to yeah, do yeah. that from so, the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think with him, you know, thinking of his his uh, existing business brand link, it was like, okay, what's the next thing? Is it getting into products? And he's, I think his thought was like, 
you know, the venture studio style model where he could do product development quicker than the big multinationals could. But right. I mean, I had one sip of the liquids. I'm like, there's no way we should give away this IP. This is this, this is magic in a bottle. So, you know, let's okay. make sure we can. So you um, were sold on it from, you were sold on the idea and then you were sold on his actual liquids that he started yeah. to make up his experiments. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, and then I think, you know, Mark's got a big background in, uh, consumer products. I, I've come from a career of e-com, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the first things I remember doing was jumping into, into Google data and, uh, saying, all right, let's, let's see what, uh, you know, what people are searching for. And despite some of the early brands in the market, no one was searching for them. Everyone was searching for, can I make a non-alcoholic espresso martini? Really? Is it possible to have a, a no alcohol Negroni, et cetera, et cetera? So it just sort of, you know, I think Mark's thesis coming at it from a CPG perspective. I came from, I guess, a consumer, you know, e-com data mm. perspective. And like the data said the same thing. So it's like, well, look, if we could build a brand and when we created it, we, we firstly, we wanted to have a, a brand that was quite transcendent in the sense that, you know, we had a, we wanted to have a, I guess, a hidden connection back to Australia, given our heritage, um, hence the Lyrebird. And hmm. uh, we thought that was, you know, the ultimate, um, I think, mark of success is if you can have your brand become a verb and we thought because liar was so close to the word liar in english we're like well imagine if we could get to the point where someone just went to a bar and go oh i'm not drinking you just make mine a liar's gnt and then mm. you know three years later that's happened organically as we had planned it which is really cool to see and we're seeing like hashtags on social like hashtag make it a liars uh you know just happen um almost by design which is really cool and uh and and that i guess was one of the the things we had hoped would happen organically if yeah. that makes sense. yeah just back to i guess the you know part of the original motivation i was talking to the heaps normal zero alcohol beer yeah, guys we're all, we're recently all good yeah <laughs> and, and they were on this podcast just a little while ago a couple of them had a really personal motivation for wanting to move away from alcohol but still be social did you have your personal motivation yeah 100 percent. i mean to, to be really candid with you like um in my peak of travel i, I said i did about 230 days i got over 100 kilos i got from oh. being super fit in my 20s to uh, i was it was just purely empty calories and, yeah. and not not enough exercise right um and so for me, yeah, it, it was definitely and part of that was alcohol, those yeah, empty calories. Just, yeah, I think beer in London was probably half of it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, but yeah, so it was a combination. I was tired, I was burnt out. Yeah. Um, and I'm a I'm an extreme extrovert. I love to be social. I, I'm you know if there's an event, I'm probably the first person at a bar. I'm the last person at a bar. But what I've discovered about myself is I don't actually need to have alcohol. Mm. Um, uh, but if I if it's just water, I get bored really quickly. Um, because you, you see, a drink is like a social artifact, and I'm sure the heaps normal guys would have said the same. It's mm. like you know, if you're there having a beer with your mates and you get a water, people go, "Okay, well, why? What's wrong?" Like, oh, it's you know? so true. I <laughs> yeah. often do that. I have to confess, I'm drawn yeah. to your sort of products because, um, you know, for yeah. various reasons. And having a water is sort of so boring, but so often boring. there's. No other choice. Well, you think of a, you know, perhaps a, a, a young professional female in the thirties going, "Oh, you're not drinking, are you pregnant?" Like yeah, it's just yeah, it's yeah. jump to conclusion. And do you know what? Sometimes people might just choose not to drink. Yes, and that's okay. So, yeah, and you I shouldn't sure have think, to justify it. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, I think we're a few years into this journey as, as a category, right? And uh, everything is sort of pointing to the same trend. As uh, there's a bunch of macros, right? Uh, the first is this better for you wave. Um, people. 
are just getting healthier, yeah. um, particularly in Western OECD nations. Uh, they are very educated about calories. I mean, um, you know, taking that point alone, I mean, in my 20s, I couldn't have told you how many calories were in a beer, right? Yeah. Um, you go you to either some, didn't care or, or wasn't given on the bottle, probably. 100%. <laughs> right? Now, you go to some um, some bars in, in London now and they'll have beer and they'll have, okay, this is, you know, this is 6%, this is 2.5%, this is zero, um, and here's the calories next to them. And wow. you're like, oh, okay, a, a pint yeah. of like regular beer is 200 calories, the non-alk one, 60 Oh, maybe my second beer I'll make yeah. it a now. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, still tastes like beer. Um, so, so that is starting to to um, I guess seep into sort of just uh, everyday sort of mainstream society. The US is similar. Um, you know, they have lots of low proof is definitely a thing there. I mean, it has been for I think decades. I mean, you look at even back to beer as an example. Uh, Americans have a very high consumption of uh, low strength beer. Um, so you think of all the range of um, um, beers they have that are yeah. all sort of light versions like low abv i mean that's been around for decades but now it's just going that sort of that um that extra step if that makes sense yeah so particularly covid amplified this all right well um, i want to save covid for a minute okay. if, you, if you don't yeah, mind that's a topic in the, itself yeah the the this non-alcohol no alcohol spirit category your um mark livings has been quoted saying you know it's it's been such a new innovative movement and with anything new comes a real importance on awareness education availability and trial that's right what does he mean by that and how did you how have you harnessed and put that into practice? Yeah. So, look, um, if we look at the overall non-out category, right, there's there's a lot more salience with beer uh, just yeah. because there's been some big players like Heineken Zero that have just cracked it open. Um, they uh, obviously they actually spend more on their public company, like spend spend more uh, on marketing than they do on revenue, um, which has been great for the category, right? Um, I think a, a lot of consumers still don't know non-alcoholic spirits exist. Yeah, um, and um, so a big part of what we've had to do as as the category leader globally, right, is we've had to make awareness. Um, and 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 this is everything from the things we do uh, on 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 digital and social mm-hmm. to how do we get liquid on lips. Um, so whether that's sampling at festivals or pop ups or you know in summer in London we had a, a margarita cart that went, literally went around London making margaritas, um, super popular um, and all non alcoholic, all non alcoholic, yeah, hundred yeah, um, percent. And I think it's uh, the common um, reaction we get. Just about in every country we, we we do this is like wow like I like I'm having whatever this the drink of choice and going this tastes exactly like the real thing um, and I didn't know this existed and the f- the fun thing is also that um, there is a mild placebo effect right because if you've ever had the base spirit before our brain works on schemas and engrams um, you know effectively you, your your mind is a computer um, so typically when you're getting so close to the sensory reproduction. Your brain's going. Oh, I see what we're doing. It's margarita time, right? right. And uh, and it's you're having a release of dopamine in a very similar way. You're not getting impaired, right? Because again, there's nothing to impair you. But all that that sort of that happy rush tends to happen. And it's we've had people that have, we've done tastings. They're like, my brain. I feel I feel drunk, as in like you know, like I feel like I've been drinking, but I'm not drunk. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so it, it is interesting to to. That's a very consistent reaction. We that get is from a lot so of interesting. Just back to what you said is sort of in it. What are distillates? I mean, are they just 
is it just water or no 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 we so um so a, a, a distillate is when you're actually like distilling yeah. uh, an, an element right so it's uh it's it's certain ingredients which you get from distillation <laughs> that's a distillate right but if yeah. there's no ethanol in it what is the liquid that makes up the bulk yeah, of so your the, bottles yeah it's a base of water that's correct yeah okay yep. So how you explained, um, you know, you and Mark, what what he was doing, what you were doing. How did you two come together? Have you oh, been no, mates so, for a long yeah, time? Yeah, we went to university together. Right. So, uh, and then um, our, our, in university, we we worked at JB Hi-Fi together. That was our university job. Oh, and, uh, great. Yeah, we, we, we've been friends <laughs> friends for decades. We've got a, a good group of um, our friends. We've invested in each other. We've backed each other, and. Um, and yeah. what all went the entrepreneurial route, or at least some of you obviously did. Actually, yeah, <laughs> it must have been something in the water at yeah. the University of Queensland. But uh, yeah, we've all. And um, in fact, my my other um, business I co-founded also with with a guy I went to uni oh, with. Oh, so. that's great. Um, so, what made you think that Australia was ready for no alcohol spirits? I mean, I, I don't think you were the first, but did you do any real market research before you jumped in, aside from the Google search? Yeah, look, um, so we weren't thinking Australia when we started this. Uh, we, we were thinking the world. It was like, so we started you were this thinking- global from day one. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. So like, it was a big honest, vision. Yeah. I mean, like, so the, the vision of Liars is to change how the world drinks, as audacious as that sounds. And it's our mission to get a bottle of Liars behind every bar in the world. And probably since COVID, which we'll come back to later, yeah. we've updated that. Like, we now don't discriminate whether it's a home bar or a, you know, a traditional wow. bar. <laughs> that is a big goal. Um, it is a big goal, but um, you know we're we're three years old. We're well on our way. Um, you know we're um, in, in 75, 76 countries. Um, we've got sort of line of sight to be in a hundred. Right. Um, so, what sort months. of market research did you do before you jumped in? Look, uh, so I think it's a there's a bunch. Yeah, there's a lot of work done. Um, I I, th- I think we and this goes back to entrepreneurship one hundred and one. Yeah. Um, it's understanding. Um, so I, I actually teach this at an electric university, which is called a Tam Sam Som exercise. So. Tam being your total addressable market, Sam being your serviceable attainable market, and then Som being um, sorry serviceable addressable, and Som being your serviceable attainable. So if you think about this as a category, it's about well, alcohol is a monster category, right? Yeah. Trillion dollars, spirits as a subset, sort of a hundred billion, right? Um, so we were starting to think, look into, billion, right. yeah, overall. Um, now that does include some things like Baijiu in China and some, uh, uh, some, some sort of very regional specific ones that actually do add up to be some pretty big numbers, right? Um, but say then, we couldn't get them easily here in Australia. Well, we, we actually have a non-alcoholic Baijiu for the Chinese market. Oh, so. okay, <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, look, we, we're we're very focused on the TAM. Um, so uh, and then it's about thinking, okay, well, realistically, uh, if we're first to scale. What could we obtain? Can we come? Can we become the category captain? Right, because when we looked at the all the people in the market, no one, uh, in our view, was giving the consumers what they actually wanted, which was the ability to recreate the drinks they actually like, know and love. Um, they're all just doing different adjacent flavors, and 
you know, while some of those products are fantastic, um, it's not really addressing, uh, you know, I guess the core demand, right? So I'd go back, back and, argue, and argue that, uh, you know, probably some of the early movers were accidentally successful because they launched into a vacuum. Um, whereas when we see the things that are getting, you know, traction, this is category wide in mm -hmm. beer, wine and spirits, it's the ones that have nailed the, I guess, the, um, the reproduction of the original thing uh, that they're trying to be, right? Because uh, you, you, the consumer has sort of baseline expectations that are actually pretty high. So we looked at, um, you know, we looked at demographic data, we looked at addressable market, um, you know, we contrasted some of the other analogs like right. plant-based dairy in terms of, okay, well, how long was that adoption curve? Plant-based meat, how as long was that adoption curve? Because we can start to then, um, you know, extrapolate that and say, all right, well, it's, if we start here, where could we be in five years? Like, how big is going to be the addressable market of uh, of non-alk spirits? And if we can outgrow what the category is growing, well, then you know, it's winner take most, right? Like, yeah. And I say most because you're never going to get all, not in a consumer category, because you know, every, like you're just going to have more and more competition as time goes on. Um, um, but sure. if you're the first to to achieve that global scale, um, and I'll come back to the global point whenever you want to have the COVID conversation, because yeah, we did go deliberately wide. Yeah, uh, and we're in a bunch of markets now, uh, basically uncontested, right? Oh. Amazing, really. Yeah. So, I mean, from what you said before, you you particularly didn't set out to be in the beverage business first and foremost. You teamed up with a guy who was wanting to make a spirit with no alcohol. That was the driving force, and you yeah. saw the. Yeah. Well, the I'm a B two B SaaS guy, but um, I guess what probably what I bring is I, I bring you know experience in scaling a startup yeah. globally, yeah. Uh, capital. Um, you know, um, having having been. I mean, my first business was one of the first venture backed businesses out of Queensland, and I, I took that all the way to exit and. It is, I think, being good being a post-exit founder because yeah. there's, you know, there's mistakes you make, there's things oh, you do absolutely. better next time. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think with Mark and myself, I mean, respectively, it was our th third business. So, yeah. it's kind of, we know, you know, we're, we're kind of battle-hardened as we start and having that blank sheet of paper allowed us to sort of, you know, just get straight into execution and build scale from day one. Your messages certainly seem to be more about the quality of your ingredients, the premium. It's a beautiful bottle, beautiful label, um, as a lot of, you know, other competitors are too. I mean, the Four Pillars bottles, they're gorgeous too. Archie Rose, I'm not saying they're all non-alcoholic. The fact that it's alcohol-free seems to come more in second place. So, I mean, you're not being trying to be prescriptive and saying to people don't drink and you know drink is evil or but i guess there is a subliminal message there you don't have to get wasted on alcohol yeah yeah and look and that's what and that's what all the data is saying um so you know um so we, we started talking some of the different ways people use the product i mean there are some people that just choose not to drink yeah it's okay there's some people like I, I i i'm in the category of a mindful drinker so i might have an alcohol drink and then i'll have a non-alcoholic oh, drink right. uh, i like i like my wedge drink so you know i you know, particularly if I have to drive, so it's like I can prolong the social experience without yes. hassle, you know, getting impaired. And I'm a busy person uh, as an entrepreneur, and I, like I really don't like losing time, feeling bad. Like yeah. I'm just past that point of life. I like to wake up full of beans every day, and you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> execute. 
So. so with Mark, I mean, how much experimentation did you have to do in the beginning with the spirits to make them this, um, <laughs> you know, quality premium product? I mean, um, so and it's about three years of R and D, oh, you know, wow. before Gosh. we got into the starting line, and it's ongoing, right? So in many cases, we've got multiple generations of our spirits. So it's not something where you know, um, and some of the uh, the more recent ones actually took more like five, six years. So the tequila, our Scotch whiskey, they were, they're hard. Okay, and um, I mean, we've tried some of the other products around the world, and I mean, some of them are awful, right? Like just like yeah. I can't put in any kind words. There's some that are, I think, been good labors of love but there's a lot that i think people just got something out just to try and sell it and for us we would rather take forever and release something that uh is amazing and just delivers a really consistent mind-blowing consumer experience than rush something to market yeah exactly so you founders came up with the recipe or the recipes more or less but do you get someone else to manufacture it for you yeah, so um, so there's Mark, and we have we actually have someone on the team, a gentleman called David Murphy. He's our global flavor architect. Uh, like he's a master level sommelier. Like right. <clears throat> you know, I, I smell something and go, hmm, smells like wine, and he'll be like, tell you every single note in it. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, look, we we do have that capability um, in the team, and but um, you don't then, do the distilling. You don't have a distillery so we, yourself. We, we work on a co-packing yeah. um, uh, manufacturing model. If you understand how that works, so. Our knowledge and in recipes, but we use other people's equipment. Yeah. the So, the sugar and the calorie content of lyres is much lower than yes. normal yep. So, we're, we're not no spirits. sugar because um, sugar is actually quite impo- important yeah. as, a, as a molecule to deliver flavor. Um, and, you, you know, we've seen people that go sugar-free and it's, oh, it just tastes watery or very, you know, it's lacking a lot of uh, mouthfeel um, or the flavor punch that one needs. So, uh, but we're, we're certainly low sugar. If you look at um, the sugar content per 100 mil, particularly versus, um, you know, it, when once you've got cocktail form, um, yeah, there's there's a big, there's a noticeable difference. <laughs> yeah. So, Carl, you, do you still consider yourselves a startup? I mean, you only began, what, in sort of mid, in, in Australia in mid-2019 and in London, I think you launched in March 2019. Yeah. So I guess you'd probably call us a scale-up now. <laughs> scale-up, like, uh, yeah. We're in a lot of, we're, you know, we've got reasonable revenue in yes, a exactly. lot of countries. But, and, but look, you know, startup in terms of our, our ethos and, the, yeah, the and that flexibility experiment. and agility yeah, and all that 100%. sort of thing. In September 2020, you raised $16 million in a funding round, mainly mm-hmm. from private individuals, as I understand yep. it, and venture capitalists, Andrew Banks and Greg Bundy. How yep. important was that sort of relatively early, given it was um, September 2020? How important was that funding to your growth? Yeah, look, uh, look, capital's really important, right? Um if you want to move fast and you know, if you want to go deep and wide, yeah. like you need capital to do it. I mean, there's only two ways you can grow a business. One is the bootstrap sort of slow and slow, steady, <laughs> you know, incremental growth. And I think for context as a beverage company, right? I mean, you know, the amount of countries we're in that we've done in three years during COVID. I mean, there's some companies that have taken 40 years to achieve the same geographic distribution. Um, it's tricky, but look, capital helps for yeah. sure. And it's certainly, I mean, the whole the whole world's upside down now in terms of the availability of capital. Uh, you know, I think we've we've sort of entered this next phase with a pretty big competitive advantage because. Um, you know, we were, we were running while a lot of people were asleep. Yeah. And, and now it's, I think it'd be very difficult for most of our competitors to raise capital because 
you know, it's it's. Uh, well, the world has changed a bit, hasn't it, in changed, terms of capital? And, and in fact, speaking of that, in November 2021, so basically, you know, a year and a little bit from um, ago, you raised a further 37 million in a capital raising from venture capital. Now, I guess mostly because you had already seen such exorbitant growth in sales during that first one, you know, one or two years of the COVID mm. pandemic. That's why they gave you more money. But is it the case that that valued liars at around $500 million, according Aussie, to yeah. the yep, financial review? Mm-hmm. Oh, insane, really, isn't it? Or amazing, yeah. I should say. Now, it is amazing for having sold your first products only in 2019. Do you think or what do you think about this view that perhaps some of those valuations of 2021 were overly frothy then and could have come back a bit now? Yeah, no. Um, so, look, and it, look, I can talk in our case. I mean, our revenue keeps going this trajectory, but have multiples come down? Like if I talk industry agnostically, like mm-hmm. it, all multiples are down right now. It doesn't matter on what which category. Um, I think some sectors have had it like – worse than others like technology i mean yeah. i mean you've got some of those i mean some of those were just getting like ridiculous yes. right like hundreds and hundreds of times revenue consumer products i mean if you look at median sort of 10 year comps um um, I, I think when we raised, it was a fairly appropriate multiple for a sort of a high growth, high margin spirits business. Um, but I mean, have sort of comps come back a little bit this year? Yeah, they have. But I mean, I think if you look at over a course of decades, um, you know, there's a fairly normal median. So I don't think anything was particularly crazy at the time. Yeah. So back when you started, you said it was always a big vision. It, it yeah. wasn't just something you thought you'd try and see how it goes. Yeah. In fact, we, um, we, we got traction in other countries way quicker than Australia. Um, oh, look, that's amazing. I, I do want to come back to that because I know it's all tied in with COVID and we'll keep that for a little part two if that's okay. But sure. you did scale up very quickly. You said that was obviously part of your strength and what you'd brought from other businesses. How did you actually scale up and manage that growth in actual hap- in in sort of actuality, how did you kick it off? Was it was it media support, social media publicity? Did you cold call every sommelier and bar owner? And ah, uh, look, I think take it up a notch. It's people, right? Like, so the fallacy about entrepreneurship is, you know, I, I think everyone thinks it. It's one or two people. To be honest, it's, it's such a team sport. Yeah. It's, um, one thing we've done amazing is, um, I think we've built this absolute world-class team and we've just rallied um you know very i guess uh you know just the best best in class people that are all mid-career um that have a real sort of um i guess affinity to to our vision and mission and We've uh, we jokingly say that we've got like you know internally we say they're like Navy SEALs they're like these special forces people that oh uh, that's very a great way to describe can, them can just sort of like you know start a whole market and build a team around them so in some cases it's about finding um, probably to, uh, to use the word entrepreneur right so someone that might have that entrepreneurial spirit may not be the person that starts it but might just pick up the baton within their market and you know, be be the match that starts the fire. Yeah. Carl, how difficult was it to crack the big distributors, the Dan Murphys, I 
presume you're in all of them, BWS, Liquorland. Uh, well, well, yeah, we don't call them distributors. So uh, like big retailers. Oh, retailers. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not distributors. Yeah, distribu- but distributors they, are who distribute like the our wholesale. product to the yeah. retail. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, look, um, look, I'd say it differs country by country. Um, we'll say in and, Australia. Yeah, look, um, look, Australia was a, a slower to it. Adopt, oh. um, than some of the other markets because I think again goes back to there was a, just a bit more sort of awareness of the category in markets like Europe. Uh, um, you know, US as an example is even further behind Australia. It's only really starting to hit its strides this year. I think next year is going to be ex- super explosive, like yeah, triple digit category growth. Um, the way things are going, um, but now I mean, I look at Australia. I mean, Australia is one of our best performing markets. Um, I mean, we do have a bit of a home ground advantage here for sure. I mm. mean, Dan Murphy's is a, is a, a great example. I mean, look at how they've embraced the category. They've um, you know mm. gone as far as opening bars you can taste it in, um, and we've done you know collaborations with them on night noodle markets and and lots of things. So yeah, so look, I, I think um, it's becoming more and imp- more important part um, uh, of retailers' strategy and. You know, perhaps in the early days, people might go, why would someone go to a liquor store to buy non-alc? And now they're like, "Mm, we need a whole category section. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. And so um, can you give me an idea of how many stores you are sold in? What, globally? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, tens of thousands, including uh, bars and restaurants, uh, like tens of thousands. Yeah. Well done. Well done. (laughs) So was there one thing that convinced those big retailers to take you on? Was it the fact that they could see the segment was growing or they thought, look, this is a good quality premium product? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of people try the product and it's a product that sells itself. If you if you haven't tried it, just go and try it because like it's like, oh, I get it once you have it. Because sometimes people scratch their head a little bit so they don't see the point. Then they have like, I don't know, they, let's say their gin and tonic is their drink of choice. They have our G&T, you know, whether it's pre-mix or not. And they're like, it's mind-blowing the first time you have it because it, it does trick your brain a little bit. Um, but I think with specific reference to the, uh, to the retailers, look, these are... V- very well run. Exactly. Uh, very, but they're very tough too. And they they are, don't take they, you on for charity. No, but they've got lots of data, right? So so they're looking at things that sell. They're looking at demographics all the time. Um, I know we keep talking, dancing around COVID, but like COVID, there was a lot of very, very pointy health trends. In part two of our chat next time, Carl Hartman offers a masterclass in the critical pitfalls to avoid in any startup, getting right your return on effort and how Liar's Spirit Company struggled through but survived COVID lockdowns, shutdowns in hospitality and global supply chain dramas. Join me then. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.